Good morning again. Grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We've been studying through the book of Ephesians for a couple of weeks now, and we're thrilled to get to read Ephesians together with our scouts and scout families, so welcome aboard. Hey everybody, have you ever had a little difficulty maintaining peace and harmony with other people? You ever had a little struggle for unity? Maybe in the scout troop, maybe in your Cub Scout den, maybe in the church, or maybe even in your family, like brothers and sisters, do you guys ever fight a little more than you should? Or are there moments when your household is not really a picture of harmony? Well, sure, we all struggle with a little bit of unity, even in the scout troop. I remember when, uh, when Curry made his first year as a, as a Boy Scout, and I start, Lindsay and I started praying for the scout leaders. You know, we thought, Lord, help them all. And God sent us an angel named Pineapple. So Caleb Scott is my hero. Caleb, will you stand up right where you are so I can come climb over the pews and hug you? Here I come. I'm just kidding. I'm not. So this is Caleb Scott. Caleb, wave it, everybody. Let me just embarrass you really good. Guys, Caleb Scott is my hero. And Caleb, you're welcome to have a seat. Caleb was the leader that kept my son alive. So the first couple Cub Scout trips they had, my little ADHD son of his father, the truest son he could be, apple didn't fall far from the tree, made his way into the Boy Scout troop. And they went away on campouts where they actually had fire, like the kids could get into. I think Curry burned a tent at one time. Maybe not a tent. It was a tarpaulin. He says he didn't do that, Rob. He said that was somebody else. Well, anyway, pineapple is who kept my son alive. God sent Curry a leader who was able to shepherd him so that the disunity that my precious baby brought into that little Boy Scout den didn't kill them all. And I want to talk about how God might use all of you as leaders. Not, not just scouts, but believers, but Christians. But as you scatter to your households, your homes, your workplaces, your ball fields, how God might use you as leaders to cultivate a sacred kind of unity that would allow the body of Christ to thrive. And I want to tell you that without it, nothing's going to happen for the glory of God. The mission of Christ will absolutely be handicapped in your household, in your calling, in your workplace, until the unity of the body of Christ is achieved. And I want to share that with you in a minute. But right now, I just want to ask you, are you willing to be part of the solution? Like if God taps you, are you willing to serve as God wants you to serve to fix this? Are you willing to allow God to bring healing to your family? Now you understand it might mean you have to surrender your pride. You might be the first one to have to forgive. You might have to start doing things that have gone undone in your household. But are you willing to be part of the solution in our church, in your family, in your workplaces, in your ministries? Are you willing to be a healer? Are you willing to promote body life? Let's pray about that together. Lord, as I pray for my friends and my brothers and my sisters, our guests, God, I pray that you would allow us to pursue life together, unity. God, I thank you for all the people in this room who serve you in different capacities, who've received the gifts of your spirit, Father, who've sacrificed and served to see your missions grow in their homes, in their workplaces, and in our church. And God, today, with them, I surrender my pride. And I pray, God, you take our pride away from us. Lord, that you allow us to love and be 100% committed to your mission. Lord, I pray that after this Sunday, there's a work in your Holy Spirit in our lives that will allow us to pursue your calling with 100% commitment. 
commitment, each one of us, Lord, serving as you see fit so this entire body can thrive. I want to ask for your blessings as we pursue this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're talking about body life. And I have a friend, a helper. I wanted, I wanted a perfect picture of a healthy and fit human body. And I was going to get Sean Hampton to come stand with me, but then I thought, no, his family needs him on the pew. So I got, so I got this guy, right? I, I'm going to name this guy Chris because he's so, you know, absolutely just a picture of health and fitness. So this is, uh, this is my little buddy Chris, okay, with a K if anybody's curious. Anybody? Chris with a K. Do what? Well, you know, so this is my, this is my friend Chris. And I know Chris looks a little gross to you with all these joints and muscles and ligaments and tendons, and you start to imagine all the different things that make the human body. And I'll be honest with you, he, he creeps me out a little bit, but I picked him because he's in the Bible. Let me show you. Everybody look in Ephesians chapter 4, and let's read a couple of verses together. I want everybody to read verse 15 and 16 with me so you see this imagery from King Jesus. The book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Him who is the head. That is Christ. So we are growing together, friends, into the image of Jesus. Verse 16. From Him, of course that's Jesus, from Him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament as it grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. In other places where Paul talks about us being the body of Christ, he says, you know, you might be a hand or an ear. You might be a foot or an eye. But in this place, he goes much farther than that. He says every joint and ligament like the muscles and tendons. And just like my little buddy Chris is creeping me out a little bit up here, like what my buddy Chris reminds me is that your body is full of joints and ligaments. I mean, full of tendons. We're not talking about five people working together. We're talking about thousands of people working together so that we can grow up into the fullness of Jesus Christ. Like the body of Christ is a complicated thing. Now, here's the deal. We also recognize when we consider body life together that if every joint, tigament, tigament, if every joint, ligament, tendon, muscle, if all of us are working together, what happens if some of us don't work together? Like, what happens if you have just one ligament that refuses to work? Let's just, let's just pretend there's one called the ACL in your knee that decides to not work for you. Does it cause you any trouble? Do you recognize it? You go to the doctor for a tennis elbow. You go to the doctor when you have a torn bicep. One tendon, muscle, ligament, one thing out of place, broken, wrong, angry, or argumentative in your house can set the whole body off kilter just like one joint, ligament, or tendon can interrupt the body of Christ. Now, I want you to know that as I've been reading Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 16, I learned a lot about unity in the church. And I want to share some of the things that I've learned this week with you. So can we dive off into a picture of unity? A couple things that we've learned about unity. Are, the first thing I learned about unity is that unity absolutely comes first. Now let me show you what I mean by unity comes first. In Paul's letters, like Ephesians, he writes about theology, about our faith in God, about the grace and the faith that saved you. He writes about the love of God, the adoption to God's family. He talks about how our sins are forgiven by the cross. 
But once you understand the cross for Paul, it's time for him to start talking to you about what to do, how to live. In a lot of your Bibles, it says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Other translations, live in a manner worthy. This is the point of the letter where everything changes. Everything before that has been praises, prayers, and theology. Paul teaching us what to believe. Well, everything from this point forward is going to be how we behave. Paul's going to talk about how we live out our Christian calling. This is where it really gets difficult. But what I want you to see is that before Paul talks about children obeying their parents, before he talks about families having peace and mutual submission, before he talks about us doing everything we do for the glory of God, before he talks about spiritual warfare, before he talks about fleeing sexual immorality, before he talks about putting down drunkenness and being filled with the Spirit, before he talks about using words that build everybody up, before he talks about all the things that are coming in the book of Ephesians, he talks about unity. Unity comes first for Paul. Why does unity come first for Paul? Because Paul had the belief that if we were gathered together in Jesus, like if there was a whole church full of people filled by God's Spirit, trying to let Jesus change us from the inside out, that we would become a greenhouse for people being transformed into a new creation. Like Paul believed that if the church was functioning well, if there was unity in this body, and it was actually working, all of us growing up into the image of Jesus together, well, then this would be the place, the incubator for spiritual health. And if this was broken, like if, if this was dysfunctional, if we were splitting over the color of the carpets, if we were firing pastors because we didn't like them, if, if we were fighting over everything that gave us an opportunity to fight, if there was division here, then the incubator would be broken and nobody would be able to grow anyway. We would all be so handicapped, crippled in our spiritual walk, that for Paul, the first thing he talked about in Ephesians when he starts to talk about the church growing is the need for unity. It's almost as if Paul says, before I talk about the rest of it, i got to get this right. A commentator, a guy named Marcus Barth, he called this section, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 16, the appeal for unity. He called this the constitution of the church. As if this is so formative for who we are that if we fail here, you can forget everything else. And so that makes me want to stop and say, wait a minute, is there unity in our church and is everybody in the room laboring to make this whole body work? Is everybody using their gifts? Is everybody forgiving offenses? Is everybody going the extra mile for the other? Is everybody trying to serve? Is everybody putting everybody else first so that this body can thrive? So that every joint and ligament can see us grow into the image of Jesus. Well, what about in your household? Is every member of your household following Jesus in a way that brings peace? So that your house can be an outpost for God's mission? Or is dad still unwilling to forgive mom so there can't be any peace in the house? Or is middle brother still holding a grudge determined to start a fight at the breakfast table every single morning and there can't be any peace. I just want to recognize that without unity, this entire project is handicapped. Your home, your workplace, this church family. And for that reason, unity comes first. 
want to let you know that unity requires love. Verse 2, verse 15, verse 16. Let's take a look at those three verses. I want you to spot the word love. Cub Scouts, look in your mom and dad's Bible. Find the word love in verse 2, 15, and 16. It says this, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. At the end of his argument, at the end of his appeal for unity, in verse 15, what are we speaking? The truth in love. So we'll grow to become in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, it grows and builds itself up in what? Love. When? As each part does its work. Unity requires love. There's no way that a family or a church is going to have unity if you don't choose to love each other. Like, love is the glue that makes it work. Love is the reason you will forgive. Love is the reason that you would serve. Why on earth would anybody sign up to, to teach preschoolers or to be a welcome greeter in the back? Why would anybody go on a mission trip? It's because we love God and His mission and because we love each other and we're willing to give our lives away for it. Love is the motivator. Maybe if we're not serving, maybe if we're not unified in our home or in our church. Maybe the first place we need to spend our thoughts and our time talking is love. Do we love each other? Are we filled with the love of God? Do we love our preschoolers? Do we love our senior adults? Do we love everybody in between? Do we love our youth group? Are we willing to volunteer to be a disciple now host home? Do you love, listen, this is crazy. All right, scout leaders, this is bananas. You ready for this? Scout leaders, as crazy as it sounds. And I'm not talking about adults. I'm talking about students. I know you guys get put in, in, in charge of your patrol. Bananas, but listen to me. Do you love the boys that God put in your care as a senior patrol leader or as a patrol leader? Do you love them enough to serve them? Not just to fill your rank and get a pat on the back, not just to move towards Eagle, but do you love them enough to lead them for a year? Athletes, performers, show choir dancers, do you love the students around you enough to fight for unity? To apologize when necessary? To put your pride down and do the things that have to be done for unity? There's a reason that the Bible teaches that the greatest spiritual gift is love. It fuels the mission. Third thing I've learned is that unity takes effort. <laughs> Amen. Unity takes effort. I loved this when I was translating through this part of the passage. The word that was used here for make every effort, it was a word that means so much more than make every effort. It means hurry up. It means work hard. It means zealous. And, and as I was looking through the verse, I realized, wait a minute, when Paul says in verse 3 that we are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, he's not saying, yeah, yeah, show up every Sunday and I hope it works. Paul says, go the extra mile. Paul says, make every effort. Paul would say, have you tried until you cried? Like, have you done everything in your power? You can't be passive and create unity. Somebody has to apologize. Somebody has to serve. Somebody has to go the extra mile. Paul says, make every effort. Unity does not happen magically. It doesn't happen on its own. It takes great leaders. It takes great sacrifice. It takes great love. Make effort every effort. If this church is going to be a church that will bless the Pine Belt, they'll change 5,000 people's lives and their trajectory with God. If this church is going to be a lighthouse for generations to come, 
If kids are going to grow up here, if lost people are going to be reached here, if God's going to give folks freedom from addictions and struggles here, if God's going to save marriages here, if God's going to allow people to worship Him here, we've got to make every effort to be a unified, healthy body. And that means not any one of us sitting back to watch it happen. We make every effort. The other thing that I found that was pretty neat is that Christian unity is built on the character of God Himself. I know this is weird. But if you think about it, in Christian doctrine, we understand that God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as a result, God in Himself is the perfect picture for unity. And the three are one, with perfect harmony and diversity. I want to show you, when I read this, I noticed that there were seven times, seven times in a couple of verses, where Paul used the word one. And you can't help but catch it. I want everybody to read with me. Read with me verse 3 through verse 6. And every time Paul says the word one, I want you to spot it in your Bible. And I want you just to put your finger on it. Now listen to this. Listen to how, listen to how compelling this is. Paul said this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Here comes verse 4. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called, and one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father over all who is, of all who is over all and through all and in all. Paul says one, 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 one. And as I move to those verses, I notice that in verse 4, he's talking about the Spirit of God. Look, there's one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. When God's Holy Spirit nudged you and God called you to salvation, He brought you into a huge body of believers that's on a fantastic mission that stretches to eternity. We are making new creation. There's only one hope of our calling. And when the Spirit called you, He called you in to that one hope. The Spirit in verse 4. Look in verse 5. Jesus. One Lord. Paul calls Jesus Lord. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, a prisoner of the Lord. Same person, Jesus Christ. Christ was the Lord of the early church. And in verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Listen to this. There's one Jesus that died on the cross for you and created our faith. You put your faith in the one Messiah who died and was raised. Not your good deeds, not your good works. Listen, if you're going to die and go to heaven, if you're going to live and make a difference for God, you're going to have faith in the one God who saved you and redeemed you. In the one Messiah, Jesus Christ, who was sacrificed for you. And here's the deal. When we fill the waters of the baptistry next week and celebrate baptism with Lily, we're all reminded there's only one baptism that we are baptized with. And that is into Jesus Christ. We are baptized into his death. We are baptized into his life. This is a verse reminding us that our unity is in Jesus. Our unity is in the Father. Look with me in the next verse. The scripture says in verse 6, One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The Trinity, the Spirit, the Son, the Father. The church finds its pattern for unity in the character and the person of the God who fills us, the God that we gather to worship. Another thing that I've learned about unity, and this is, this is where we all have to step in, is that unity involves every one of us. In this passage in verse 7, it says, but to each of us, grace has been given. Verse 12, to equip his people. That's all his people. Verse 13, until we all reach maturity. Verse 16, as each part does its work. The secret to a great church is that a great church is not on the shoulders or the backs of a staff or a pastor. 
A great church really functions because of great people. I love our church, and I love our church in great part because of you. Because you're amazing people who love the Lord and love each other. Because I've seen you show faith in Christ time after time after time. And I want to give credit where credit is due. That the health of this church is very much because of you. Because you taught Sunday school. Because you helped the women's conference be successful. Because you mentored students. Because you prayed for children. Because you kept the nursery. Like because you greeted people and you went the extra mile and visited. Because you opened your home to people. Like because you witnessed at school. The health of the church is very much because of the people. And that's genius on God's part. Because I want you to think about this. If God was going to accomplish everything that he was going to accomplish in his mission through professional staff people at churches, a couple of pastors, well then suddenly the amount of work that God can do through this congregation of hundreds is limited to a handful. But if we turn that upside down, and the leaders in the church equip the body of the church, every member, for the service that God's called you into. Then suddenly, every time the doors open of this church and you flood out and you scatter for a week of missions, then hundreds of pastors and missionaries are hitting the streets of the Pine Belt. And there's no limit to how much God can do. That is a picture of the body of Christ. That's the genius that makes the church work. But unity involves everyone. And that makes me want to just sort of stop and ask, has God shown you yet how He wants you to serve? And is there a reason that you're holding off on it? Maybe the time is now. Maybe God's tapping you to say, it's time for you to say yes to your calling to serve. Maybe some of you know exactly what God wants you to do, and you need to begin to obey Him. And, and this is not just for grown-ups. This is for our youth group. It's for our children. Like every believer in this church, if you've surrendered to the Lord, if you ask Christ to be your Savior, if you've been baptized into His name, you are a part of this body of Christ. And He's equipped you. He's gifted you. The thing I really want everybody to see is that while unity is super hard, like this level of cooperation is really difficult, I want you to recognize that the reason it's possible is because Jesus Christ is working in us. The scripture says this, verse 7 through verse 13. But to each one of us, by the way, to which one of us? Each one of us. That means you. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to people. Well, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. For what purpose? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. How does the body of Christ grow? Jesus, when Christ ascended to heaven, he poured out gifts of his spirit. Like the triumphant Christ gifted every member of his body so that we could function together. Why is unity in the church possible? Because Jesus is that good. 
Like, not only can Jesus save us from our sins, not only can Jesus cleanse us from our guilt, not only can Jesus make a place in heaven for us, not only can Jesus redeem us and transform our heart, not only can Jesus change us from the inside out, renewing our mind, renewing our affections, but Jesus can even change us so that we can love each other. Jesus can teach us to put our pride aside and become gentle and humble and love each other. Christ can accomplish the unity of the church. And the reason the church can be together, the reason your family can be healed, is not because you can work hard enough to do it. It's because Christ is good enough that he can change everyone that yields to him. And he can bring love, and he can bring unity, and he can bring forgiveness, and he can bring the things that are necessary for a body to function together. Something else just jumps off the page to me about this passage. It says that Jesus gifted the church, and then it said he brought some apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip the church. Well, it's interesting that all those leaders are called gifts. I know this sounds funny. Like, I know that for some of you, your spouse thinks they're God's gift to humanity, and they might not be, but you are God's gift to the church. In this passage, it says he gave gifts, and then it starts describing people. He sent apostles. He sent prophets. He sent pastors. He sent teachers. He sent evangelists. The gifts are people. Why? Well, the gifts are the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in what? A person. But the gifts are always packaged in people. They're not some nebulous idea. The way that God gifts a church is through people, which is both wonderful, miraculous, and also challenging. Because it means when, as people, when we say no to God, we choke a church away from the gifts that Christ is bringing like, you really are, and I'm not joking, this is great. You can go home and pat yourself on your back at Grandma's pot roast. You can say, preacher told me I was God's gift to the church. You are. You are God's gift to the church. But the backside of that is that when you say no to the service that God calls you into, the whole body suffers. But it's Jesus who works it for us. So as we wrap up the sermon, I just want to ask a question, I guess. The question is fairly simple. How are we going to make body life work? As a church, how do we take people like me who are prideful and stubborn? Or people like you who have a hard time forgiving? Or are really, really busy? Like, how do we take people and get us to function together? I, most of us... Most of us don't enjoy group work. We go back to our school days and we think, you know, I hated it when the teacher said, now let's get in groups of five and I got a little assignment. It's harder to work together, right? There's, if we said, hey, scouts, let's have a little quick dash. Let's have a race. You guys run straight down this aisle. I'm sure they could just fly down the aisle. These are super fast scouts. You wouldn't believe them. They've been trained by Rob guys. But, but I bet if we started tying their legs together and say, three-legged race, go. Somebody's tripping and falling. It's harder to do things together. Now, it's easier if we're saying, hold up this 100-pound ball, or we're saying, climb over this 9-foot wall. But I ask myself, why does this have to happen? Why do, we have to, why do we have to learn body life? Why can't we just run when it gets hard? Why don't we just abandon our marriage or our family or our church when suffering comes? And the answer to that is twofold. Number one, because God's mission is too big for any one person. 
Like the, if we don't achieve the momentum that is accomplished when a body leans into this together, we'll never make a dent for the gospel in the pine belt. But the other reason is because there are some things you can't learn from God until you suffer together. A husband and a wife grow in their relationship with Jesus when God makes one of them apologize and makes another one of them forgive. The act of overcoming your selfishness and pride is a spiritual mark of sanctification. It would not have happened if you ran from your struggling marriage. And the same thing happens in church. We want to run when church gets hard or when somebody in the church disappoints you. Spoiler alert. I know the people in church. They will disappoint you at some point. We want to run when church gets hard, but you can't because it's body life that makes you grow. The act of having to love that person, and you say, but Ben, they're so hard to love. And I laugh and say, but God loved each one of us when we were hard to love. This is what sanctification looks like. If we run when it becomes imperfect, we cut ourselves off from growing in ways you cannot imagine. And some of the very steps we're running from, reconciliation, confession, healing, repentance, forgiveness, loving somebody as stubborn as you are, some of those very steps are the things that you're waiting on to grow to the next level in your life. You can't run when body life gets hard. God's mission is too valuable. Like the equipping of a thousand saints for His mission 24-7 in every workplace of the Pine Belt. It could lead more people to the Lord, I promise, than if the pastors of this church knocked on doors 24-7 throughout our city. So how do we do it? I've got a couple of suggestions after reading this passage all week, and here they are. First, I want to ask you to prioritize the church. I want to ask everybody here to recognize that your engagement in this body, it's more, it's, it's more important than you think. It's not a social obligation. This is not like the Kiwanis Club and the Rotary or the Boy Scouts. Those are all good things, but this is not like that. This is your connection to the body of Christ, His redeeming work in the world. This is the only club that's going to last for all eternity. This is more important than show choir or baseball. I want you in show choir. I want you playing baseball because I want you to turn them into mission fields. But your involvement in your local church, it is the sacred involvement in your life in the mission of God and in the body of Christ. And if you're like me, there's a lot of times when being a part of the church seems mundane or routine. And if you're like me, the devil can use that to deceive you and make you want to distance yourself, back off or unplug. And I think part of my message this morning is to remind you, do not let that happen. That you would prioritize your place in the local church. Second thing I want to say to you is, and don't run when body life gets hard. You can't. That's not the time to run. That's probably the time when you're positioned to grow more than you believe and help somebody else grow more than you believe. Don't run from your marriage when it hurts. Don't run from your family when it hurts. Don't run from your dad when you're mad at him. Don't run from the church when it gets difficult. Listen, there's a, a word in here I want to show you. Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. And I want you to see this in your Bible. I don't know what translation you're using, but be patient. Bearing with one another in love. One of the commentators I was reading this week 
Instead of saying bearing with one another, he translated in a way I've never seen it translated. I thought it was pretty cool. He said, put up with each other. <laughs> and I thought, boy, that's sometimes the truth, isn't it? Have you ever thought that putting up with each other is a sacred act of your worship to God? Seriously. It's a part of you preserving the unity. Is that you would bear with each other when it gets tough. Don't run when body life gets hard. Something else I'm calling you into is love. Love is a defining quality of this church family. Sometimes it feels like it, sometimes it doesn't. But as long as I've known Carterville and as many times as I've talked to guests of the church, the thing that stands out that we do well when we do it well, the thing that, that makes us who we are when we're in the middle of it is that we love people well. We're very people-oriented church, a very family-centered church. Like, we want to be church as a family. We love well. And I'm calling you to love each other. Love covers a multitude of sins in a lot of ways. I want to ask you to put your pride aside. In verse 2, Paul said, be completely humble and gentle because humility and gentleness are the enemy of pride. And if you can put your pride to death on the cross of Christ, we can have body life. But in your marriage, in your family, in your scout troop, in your workplace, in our church, pride is the enemy of unity. Leaders in the scout troop and in the church, equip your people. God gave gifts to the church in the form of people, leaders. And your job is to speak the truth in love. Your job is to equip the saints. In your Sunday school classes, in your discipleship groups, when you have people into your home, your job as a leader is to equip the saints. And I'm asking the leaders at Carterville to lead. I got a lunch right after church with a lot of the leaders in our church who are helping with strategic planning. I'm so excited to sit down with them. And I'm excited today to preach to them and think about what it looks like for us to lead for the glory of God. Lead. Everybody do your part. In body life, remember it's every joint, every ligament, every tendon, every muscle. It's you. It's fifth graders. It's 17-year-olds. It's college students. College students, I understand the temptation you have when you, when you leave home, you're away from your family, and you decide that church is not a priority for you anymore. And four years give way to six, and six gives way to eight. You find somebody to marry, and you have to call a preacher that you haven't talked to in years. Hey, man, would you marry us? Two years later, you have a baby, and you start to look at each other, and you said, you know, we should probably raise our kid in church. And then you look at each other and say, what happened? Have we been out of church for a decade? I understand how it happens, but don't let it happen. High schoolers, I know it's easy for you to think, well, this is the grown-ups church. No, it's not. If God has saved you, if you've been baptized, middle schoolers, children's ministry, if you've been baptized into Christ, you're a member of this body the same as me. Serve as God taps you to serve. If you're sitting here going, Ben, I hear you, I get you, what you're saying is touching me, but I've been out of church for about two years. I just came because it's Scout Sunday. And I'm going to be honest with you, like, I, it, it makes a lot of sense. I'll tell you what, about a year from now, I'm just going to, I'll come and, and put in my time at church and I'll earn the credibility to serve. No, sir, you can start serving today. Don't put off tomorrow what God's telling you to do today. Everybody has got to do their part. And the last thing I just want to say is, I mean, use the gifts that God put in you. He designed you exactly as he did so that this church could be a disciple-making engine for the kingdom so that the lost could be saved at a level that we'd never dream of. Like if this church was functioning at our best, 
The Baptist should be full every Sunday. And nobody be calling the pastor and say, would you share with my neighbor? I mean, I'm happy. I love sharing with your neighbor. Keep calling me. But you'd be calling me and say, Ben, I shared with my neighbor and he gave his life to Jesus and we'd like to baptize him Sunday. When we are serving as God designed, there's no ceiling on the potential. Well, gang, I know we've all shown up at work and said, you know what? This job would be awesome if it just weren't for all the people. I know some of you had a job and you said, you know what? My workplace is fantastic. I would love this job if it wasn't for the customers. And I bet some of you have ever said, this church would be fantastic if it just wasn't for all the people. And maybe me. Maybe I'm the thorn in your side. But today, in Ephesians chapter 4, I want to tell you that for you to grow in Jesus and for the pine belt to know Jesus, this church has got to be a healthy body, every member serving, everybody equipped. So Jesus is working in the lives of everybody in this room. Some of them can't even see it right now. Jesus is working in every member of your family, and some of them can't see it right now. What would happen if everybody did their part? I can promise you this, Jesus is doing his part. Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended to the Father. He's poured out the Spirit. He's blessed you. He's called you. He's sanctified you. He's set you apart. He's done his part. He's given you gifts. He freed you from sin, from death. Are you ready to start doing your part? Our mission is only going to reach as far as each one of us will allow it. Our discipleship in this congregation is capped by each of our willingness to follow the Lord. When I ask you today, put your pride aside and be a part of his body. I want to pray for you. And I want you to take your next step with the Lord this Sunday morning. Bow your heads with me. Lord, as this congregation and I have read through your scriptures, I ask for your Holy Spirit to set us free from our pride, our unforgiving hearts, our busy schedules, our fears, our apathy. Lord, I pray that you would set us free to serve, each one of us to serve as you see fit. I pray you would transform the pine belt, Lord, through a church fully equipped for your good work. I pray, Lord, that you would bring health and body life to the scout troop, to our marriages and our homes, our families, to sisters and brothers, Father, to our schools and our workplaces, but Lord, most of all, to your church. And I pray that in the next year we'd see the fruit of body life. We'd see people saved, baptized, people's lives transformed as as you have an entire army of ministers at your disposal. I pray, Lord, that we'd accept the gifts that you've given us and we'd use them for service. And that we would become an incubator where people can grow in Jesus as we love in Christ. We ask for your blessings in Christ's name. Amen.